Welcome to the Operate Intelligently podcast. I'm your host, Brian McDonald, Digital Marketing Manager at Dude Solutions. I'm excited to be your new host, and you'll still get to hear from Bob and Tony every once in a while. We'll be continuing to explore some of the topics that span all of our industries, as well as hone in on specific market challenges. And today we're diving into the world of education, and I have two special guests joining me to talk about our annual Education Operations Health Index, or OHI, as we'll refer to it. Joining me today are Earl Lang, who is our Senior Education Marketing Manager. Earl, welcome. Thanks for having me, Brian. Thank you. And Jed DeGroat, Director of Client Services at Dude Solutions. Jed, welcome. Thanks for having me here. So gentlemen, last year we launched the OHI to the education industry and it was well received. And just a little bit of background information on on what the OHI is. It's an index um, that was calculated using our database of almost 20 years of education operation statistics. I mean, billions of client data points are combined with the actual survey responses and the survey responses came from all areas, public K through 12, four and two year universities and private independent schools. So we got a full breadth of different areas of education. So this comprehensive index kind of identifies the most relevant trends. And basically, it's kind of the pulse of the uh, education operation. So Earl, you know, kind of why do we, why do we do all this? Well, this really kind of started as a, a brainchild of our uh, VP of sales, Brian Carter, who had had um, some exposure to some pieces like this across the manufacturing space. And Obviously, we've got a, a vast knowledge uh, and database on education operations, um, almost 20 years of experience, in fact. So with close to 7,000 clients, uh, we really wanted to kind of create a keystone piece that, that people associate uh, us with and uh, look forward to each year that really helps kind of keep a pulse um, on the state of education operations. Uh, it's something that when we say operations, um, we're not just historically thinking of, of maintenance and operations, but the full breadth of, of maintenance, uh, preventative maintenance, deferred maintenance, um, and even we'll start to get into predictive maintenance and internet of things. Um, we also think of operations as event-related, community use of facilities, energy consumption within educational institutions technology, um, how IT teams are, are operating, and even safety to a degree. But it just it makes this piece super relevant to whether you're a director of operations uh, or more of a C-level title within an educational institution. And it's, in summary, it's really meant to just track um, how operations department change their workflows, habits, and priorities over year to year, as well as how sentiment data towards operations kind of ebb and flow over the course of uh, each year, like I mentioned. Great. So uh, one of the first areas that we look at in this study is the corrective, preventive, and deferred maintenance, which is kind of, you know, the core of what we do uh, and what our clients do. This year, we actually saw that less than half of the respondents are doing more preventive maintenance than last year. But we still see the PM to reactive maintenance ratio around 19%, which is below the recommended benchmark. So, uh, Jed, you know, why are we seeing only less than half of our clients doing PM but still falling far behind the, the benchmark? That's a good question. I think it's uh, kind of reflective of where many clients or educational institutions are at right now with their, their maintenance and, and how they handle their operations. Uh, the recommended benchmark has traditionally been around 30% of your PM resources going towards preventative maintenance activities. Um, the most progressive or, or well along, you know, our campus champions are doing more than 50% of their work as PM. So that's really what you want to shoot for. Um, 
but unfortunately, the fact is, you know, many institutions are still in kind of a run to failure mode with their, their PM program and doing minimal activities. Um, a lot of times we kind of see it's either feast or famine. Either they're, they're doing a really good job at it um, because they started it a few years ago and built it up, or they just haven't been able to get over that hump of, of starting their PM program yet. Everybody understands, you know, there's a significant ROI when you start to implement a PM program, right? I mean, we've talked about that a lot earlier, you and I have. Um, there's a lot of overtime decrease once you start doing that preventative maintenance. Um, it increases energy efficiency on your, on your assets. Um, extends life cycles of roofs, so your major uh, assets in your system like boilers and again, rooftop units, um, along with just creating a better learning environment for the children. That's that's something that's not necessarily captured in the financials, but it's something that you know we hear time and time again from our campus champions as well. So we all know the ROI, but unfortunately the, the reality is it does take some resources to get over that hump. It's not as easy as just flipping a switch and start doing PM. Um, you can start doing some minimal activities at first, but and there are benefits as soon as you do start doing PMs. I think of a client a few years ago, um, Earl, you probably remember this anecdote too, was uh, from a university that when they started to implement a PM program, well first let me back up, they said every summer they'd have drive shafts fail on their rooftop units. Every single summer without fail that would happen. Um, the year after they implemented a PM program, they just started having people go up and check you know, those units. That summer they didn't have any drive shafts fail. Um, not coincidence, right? So there are payoffs immediately. But you know, the resources that it took to, to do that PM program, it went up a slight uptick at first, and then it starts to level out, and then they really start to see the ROI mm -hmm. um, in year two and three. So I think the reason why we still see um, clients that are below that benchmark is because it does require resources, and mm -hmm. um, they're strapped for resources, mm -hmm. um, typically. So uh, it takes strong leadership you know, at, at the maintenance director level, at the business office level, to understand what it takes to get a, a PM program up and going. I think, you know, it is important to note that we have seen the trend is on the rise mm -hmm. of clients that are doing, or educational institutions in general, doing more preventative maintenance, and so that's a positive. Um, there's lots of cool strategies that, that people are implementing now um, to do some great things with preventative maintenance. Like one of the coolest things I've heard in the last year or two was uh, you know, one institution is using drones um, to start inspecting their rooftops and everything, so they're saving man hours of sending out people out on every single roof. They, they sent somebody, they invested uh, in some classes to get them certified in flying those, mm -hmm. those drones and, and checking the rooftops, and now they just send people up on the roof for the ones that, that really need mm -hmm. attention and everything. So it's, it's not necessarily where we want to be, where everybody should be close to that benchmark, but it is improving, and there's some clients doing some really cool, innovative things with technology to try to get there. Yeah, I think it's good that you mentioned uh, leadership because I think that is an important component in anything like preventive maintenance where you have to say, we're going to make it a priority. Sometimes it's, it's tough because other things might get pushed aside, but it's a, it's a smart investment. No, that's exactly right. Yeah, we see that um, and we see it at roundtables and when we talk to prospects and clients at events and everything, but leadership is definitely a key component to that. And, and you hit the nail on the head. Some things are going to have to get pushed back. Um, in the short term to dedicate on PM, but it pays dividends, you know, in the long term. I think another thing to kind of to point out there, too, is even though we saw a slight drop-off from last year, you know, that's not necessarily a bad thing. You know, if you look at our data, you can kind of see that um, maybe we're reaching um, a point of stabilization where uh, those rock stars, our campus champions who are doing an incredible amount of PM work, can only do so much more the next year, right? Mm -hmm. So 
this is a sentiment survey, and when you look at the survey, if there are rock stars out there that are doing a tremendous amount of preventative maintenance, um, it, it's hard for them to maybe look at the responses and say, oh, I, I am doing more than I was last year. So we think that stabilization has a little bit to do with that response rate as well. And it's, the drop-off's not necessarily a bad thing because that 43% is still doing more, and that's a positive trend in that direction. Are you looking for a way to get inspired about your work as a facility or operations professional? Join us at our annual maintenance and operations conference, Dude University in Raleigh, North Carolina, May 5th through 8th, 2019. You'll be able to attend educational sessions about your day-to-day work, meet professionals from across the country that work in your and other industries, and enjoy food, friends, and fun in the Dude's hometown. If you register this year, you can take advantage of our all-inclusive Dude deal. Learn more and register online at university2019.com. So let's talk a little bit about deferred maintenance. And, you know, this is the real big scary monster hiding in the closet. You know, it's, it's the backlog. It's things that we have to deal with and maybe uh, we've, we've pushed aside. But, you know, overdue maintenance has risen about 18% over the past six years. Um, you know, how are schools dealing with the challenge? Yeah, let me walking back just a little bit too. When I was looking at this overall, the operations health index, this was one thing that kind of stood out a little bit. Um, I guess I wouldn't call it surprising, but you know, the overall sentiment was up from last year in the health index uh, from 55.6 to 57.2. So overall, um, you know, people are feeling better about how they're handling uh, their operations, but this was one of the sore spots as you talked about, Brian. Um, you know, the sentiment for deferred maintenance was one of the more pessimistic areas. Most respondents um, didn't feel like they have the resources to take on capital upgrades or improvements. Um, and, and with this, you know, the infrastructure out there for educational institutions, they're, they're aging. They're old, mm-hmm. you know, 50 years on average, I think, for a public K-12 facility, 45 years even for higher education as the average age. So they're, they're aging and, and systems are failing. You know, buildings have a finite life cycle and not a lot of people, um, if they're outside facilities, think about that. Or, and so it, particularly, you know, in the business office, it might be where it's not at the top of mind that these these facilities and their assets do uh, kind of cycle through. And I think about it, you know, just at home, you know, if you if you have a home and you own it for 10 mm-hmm. years, I know that's a little bit rare now compared uh, <laughs> to past, but, you know, carpets have to be replaced, mm-hmm. roofs have to be replaced, HVAC systems have to be replaced. Well, think of a facility with a thousand students mm-hmm. in there, um, the same kind of thing happens. Um, so, you know, how are they dealing with it? I think, you know, the best ones will we see they're uh, doing a lot around education, educating their stakeholders, um, whether that's within the school or within the community. Transparency, showing, you know, what, what is out there. I'm not trying to hide things or shove them under the rug. Let's be open and transparent about what needs to be repaired. Um, and communication, you know, those are the common elements that I see for our most successful um, leaders and operations. Um, another strategy that we're seeing more of uh, is when there's new construction that's happening, making sure that there's a PM program that's part of that new construction plan. So in the past, uh, you know, new construction would take place. Um, you know, that Once that was done, it was kind of tossed over to maintenance and operations to take care of without a lot of thought or resources dedicated to a PM program. Um, but now that's part of the whole planning and building and construction process in a lot of areas um, where they're doing that now. So that's that's another strategy. If you're implementing that PM program, then your deferred maintenance is going to stay low. And mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. It's better to knock that out than to let it build up. Once it does, then you've got a whole other challenge to tackle. Mm-hmm. And Earl, I was going to ask you, um, 
you talk a little bit about the difference of like how you know DM is seen between say K through twelve and higher ed, like the the value of the importance on it? Absolutely, and and Jed, feel free to jump in here and and kind of add to to what I'm going to say. But I think from from K twelve, you know, it, it's one of the core aspects that's looked at is is financially. I mean, obviously. If you look in the Operations Health Index, we quoted the uh, State of Our Schools report, which just had a, a ton of fantastic data uh, around deferred maintenance. And um, so there's really some very real financial implications on the K-12 side. Uh, I don't want to go into all those data points because I'd just be throwing a lot of numbers out here at you right now. But I um, highly encourage everybody to go take a look at that. It, it's uh, very eye-opening to see the hole that we're in um, as a nation um, regarding deferred maintenance, um, some pretty powerful statistics in there. So again, to summarize, K-12, there's, there's certainly a, a financial impact as well. I think when you look at higher education and even you know, private independent schools to a certain degree as well, there is uh, certainly a financial implication there as well. Um, but there's also the component of appearance um, and student recruitment. And, and to be quite frank with you, those, those also apply equally to K-12 schools as well. I mean, there are families, um, you know, being a new dad, I know that you want to move to an area with good schools, you know, and so appearance is, is everything. But there's certainly an added component with higher ed um, of appearance and student recruitment that when kids come to your campus and they, they tour and they look at your schools, they want to be in a place uh, that's well-maintained. They want to be in an environment that is conducive for them to learn effectively within. And um, really, there's a lot of power in that. When kids step on your campus, that's the first impression that's often made upon them as your facilities, as the, the campus itself. And I mean, we're lucky uh, to have a lot of really great, beautiful campuses in the state of North Carolina. And I know that played a, a key factor in in my where I attended school is you know you walk on campus and you see how well maintained these facilities are and uh, you know that that's a big part of your choice so to a certain degree probably plays a larger factor in higher education even those mm-hmm. private and independent schools but definitely something uh, that's also uh, relevant in K-12 as well. Yeah Earl I think I mean when I was kind of thinking about that question as you're going through I think you hit on something good there it is relevant to both but higher ed and private K-12 through definitely mm-hmm. are a little more concerned with curb appeal and student recruitment, as yeah. you said. Um, I think also, you know, they take, uh, typically in my experience in working with them, they, they take a more programmatic approach to planning. So it's it's something that they do mm-hmm. on a consistent, regular basis. It's not necessarily that they don't face the same challenges as public K through 12. They do, they have an age, aging mm-hmm. infrastructure. Um, they have uh, finite um, resources with infinite, uh, seemingly infinite kind of <laughs> things that they have to repair and everything. Um, but because they take a programmatic approach to it and everything and can articulate what needs to be done, um, it seems like the deferred maintenance issue isn't as magnified uh, necessarily at higher ed and, and private institutions. It's acknowledged even if it can't be all addressed right mm-hmm. away. Um, at least that's what we see. You know, K, K through 12, they're competing with curriculum for mm-hmm. knowledge. That's mm-hmm. just the simple thing. And we, we understand the value of that too. We know that. So, um, and unfortunately, as we talked about earlier with preventive maintenance, public K through 12 often Unfortunately, we hear that they're running to failure um, mm. on their, their building components. So, um, and their facilities are slightly older, you know, if you look at the average age and everything. So that's, that's just some of the other um, differences that I see between higher ed and, and public K-12. I, I would agree with both of you, and as a parent of a high schooler who's starting to take her on college visits, uh, it's, it's, I think it's, it's not only the students, it's, it's the parents, it's stakeholders, it's donors, it's all people. Uh, that you know, when they bring someone onto their campus, they want to they want it to look good. They want it to be you know shining as much as they can. Absolutely. 
I want to thank Earl and Jed for joining me today, and thank you for listening. If you want to get your copy of the Operations Health Index, as well as the infographic, we'll have those available in the show notes, as well as on our website, dudesolutions.com. In the next episode, we'll continue our discussion on the 2018 Operations Health Index, so tune in for the second half. Thank you for listening to the Operate Intelligently podcast. Subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts, leave us a review, and you can even email us at dspodcast at dudesolutions.com. 